0: Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. What's better than putting a plant out in the ground, tending to it lovingly, and then reaping the reward of a harvest at the end of the season? Well, planting that plant one time and then reaping the rewards year after year after year, of course. That is the beauty of a perennial fruit or vegetable or herb. Plop that puppy into the ground one year and give it a little bit of attention each season and it can continue to provide for years or even decades. Today we're going to talk about the difference between an annual that readily self-seeds and a perennial and we'll go over the most suitable perennials for each hardiness zone. This won't be a deep dive. Instead, just a quick overview so you know what to plan for and what to shop for so you can get in on the perennial game in your own garden. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So, settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So, if you saw my social media posts on Monday, then you know the saga of the tomato field continues. Um, If you didn't see my post, I'll catch you up really quick that's the field that has the 400 plus tomato plants in it. I've been talking about, you know, the diseases that I've been battling and then the hornworms and the army worms. And, you know, I was behind on the trellising and all that kinds of fuss stuff. Well, I had finally gotten everything under control in that field, and the plants were loaded with fruit. They weren't ripening very quickly, though, because the temperatures here have been so high. But overnight Sunday into Monday morning, we got down to 67 Fahrenheit, which is perfect tomato ripening weather. So I happily went down into that field Monday morning, expecting to harvest our first real boatload of tomatoes. And instead, I was greeted with well mayhem it looked like someone had run through the rows and just yanked on all the plants pulling them down over the twine that I'd been using to trellis them and all the tomatoes were gone I mean gone every single one of them with the exception of one half-eaten green tomato that I found laying on the ground just stripped everything My best guess is the deer were frolicking and the raccoons were climbing and eating. They devastated that field. I put a video up over on Instagram and the Facebook page if you want to go look. I wanted to absolutely cry after all the work that I've put into those plants for the past six months and just being literal hours away from being able to harvest And just have them all literally disappear like that. So, yeah, what are you going to do? I'm going to focus on what I can in the other areas of the gardens and hope that those plants will rebound and that we'll get a fall crop. Although I will have to re-trellis many of them and I'll need to pull about 100 of them because they're my determinants. So they won't produce anything after this. I do have more tomato plants up in the beds by the house, but this was our major market sales tomato field. We'll still have what I need for canning and such, because those are up by the house, and we have a relationship with enough local farmers that we'll be able to buy tomatoes at wholesale to get to our customers that are here locally, but that's a huge hit to our bottom line. You guys know, I talk about it all the time. Tomatoes are our biggest seller consistently at the markets throughout the, the summertime, and so this is a pretty big hit. So, back to the drawing board and trying to figure out how to keep the critters out of the fields where they don't belong. I'm beginning to rethink that whole certified wildlife habitat that we created out here. Little buggers. So, besides cursing raccoons and deer out here, what else is going on? What am I doing, reading, and listening to? I am experimenting with fall-planted potatoes, Our potato harvest was a little lackluster this year, partly due to soil conditions and partly due to just weird weather conditions. We have enough, but I want to try to grow some during the fall because many of these we hold over in winter storage, some for us and some for our customers. And if we harvest the potatoes in like late June into July, well, that means curing them and getting them stored up pretty early in the year. We do usually plant varieties with different maturity dates so that we can harvest the early ones like as new potatoes and then later the later harvested ones can be cured and stored. But that still means that they need to hold for like three months before we even get into the fall. And of course the longer they have to be stored, the more potential there is for rot. So I figure I have enough time to get another crop to maturity if I can manage the soil temperature. Since potatoes are more of a cool weather crop, I'm going to use tubs and containers and maybe one raised bed and these will all be in an area that stays shaded until about 10 o'clock in the morning and then it gets shaded again in the afternoon around 4 o'clock, so pretty much just before we really hit our hottest part of the day. That's going to give me at least six hours of sunlight, and it will give the advantage of the overnight cooler weather longer into the morning in the shade, and then a chance to cool down quickly, or at least not be in the scorching sun during the hottest part of the day. And they'll also be within reach of the hose, so I can water liberally when needed to kind of keep the soil cool that way. So we'll see how it goes. I'll keep you posted. Um, What am I reading? I finally got started on Scratchman by Tom Baker and it's an absolute joy so far. I didn't start until Sunday and I'm already a third of the way through because I just didn't want to put it down. So if you are a Doctor Who fan, I absolutely recommend it. And what am I listening to? I'm catching up on back episodes of Plant Rama. It's a podcast hosted by Ellen Zakos and CL Fernari, and it covers edible gardening, foraging, and landscape plants. They always have really interesting insights and different opinions from each other, which I really appreciate. So they usually cover um, three different topics each episode and then questions from listeners. And it's an interesting show. So I'll link to it in the show notes. <music> And in much more pleasant news than that that I shared at the top of the episode, we have a new patron over on Patreon. Ashley at Dirty Paws Homestead is buying me a coffee every month over there, and I couldn't be more appreciative because, you know, you all know I love my coffee. Thank you, Ashley, for joining the Patreon community. And you, my gardening friend, if you are finding value every week from what I do here and on social media and the articles on the website, and you feel called to support the podcast monetarily, you can find no less than seven ways to do that over on the Patreon page, and for as little as $2 a month, U.S. And I will link to the Patreon page in the show notes so you can check that out. So thank you again, Ashley, for joining. And in even more pleasant news... I have a new review to read. This five-star rating and review comes from Apple Podcasts, and it is from Marina over at FarmingMRT, and it is titled, My Garden's Best Friend. This podcast has been such a help to me this year with my garden. I'm kicking myself for not finding this podcast earlier because I could have been implementing these awesome tips in past garden years. I've already changed multiple things in my garden and seen improvements already thank you karen for helping this amateur gardener marina thank you marina that means so much to me um it really is wonderful to get feedback and to hear that my goal of helping people reach their goals as gardeners is actually being accomplished so thank you for that and Okay, I don't care what any other podcaster tells you, the reviews don't help our rankings in the podcast charts, but it does lend some credibility to the podcast when people are searching for something new to listen to, and it absolutely does a lot for the podcaster to know that, you know, we're not just speaking out into the void. It's helpful to know whether what we're doing is having an impact, and so the ratings and the reviews are absolutely, truly appreciated. So if you would like to leave a review, you can do that over on Apple Podcasts. And even if you're not an Apple user, I created an Apple account and downloaded iTunes just so I could go and leave reviews for my favorite podcasts because I'm a PC person. So um, you can also just leave a rating in Spotify, but no reviews over there yet. So let's talk perennials. The idea of being able to Just plant something once and harvest off of it for years or decades is very pleasing to me. And for most of us, anywhere between zones like 3 and 9, we have lots of different options. Warmer and colder climates are going to have a few challenges, and you warmer climate folks definitely have a different range of options than the rest of us. What I'll focus on today is just a few of the many, many perennial fruits and vegetables that are on the list of possibilities for each zone. This is in no way an exhaustive list, and I'll work on getting some articles up over on the website and for the newsletter to go a little bit more in-depth for each zone. But there's some good starter information here, so stick with me. First, let's talk about the difference between a self-seeding annual and a perennial. So you can have a perennial bed of an annual plant that simply reseeds itself without any work. This is particularly easy for herbs. Herbs like dill, cilantro, parsley, basil, they all send out copious amounts of seeds if you allow them to go to flower. And those seeds will sprout at the optimum time for germination without you having to do anything but just keep them contained to one little area. Now, I haven't actively planted cilantro in a few years, And now I'm doing the same with my dill and plan to do a huge basil bed this way. I'm also planning a perennial Fardneck garlic box, which I talked about last year in the garlic episode, but I never did get it planted. I fully plan to do that this year. But these are all plants that are technically annuals in my area. They grow, they supply their harvest, and they senesce, meaning they fully die all in the same season. Well, okay, parsley is technically a biennial because it flowers in the second year, but it's the same concept. Perennials, on the other hand, come back from the same rootstock every single season. They have underground parts that survive the winter and sprout and grow again the following spring when the weather is appropriate. Or maybe they're trees that go dormant during a certain time of year and begin producing again when the time is right. Those are the plants we're talking about today, and I'm going to stick with fruits and veggies because the herb list is really extensive and could actually be its own episode. So just the big guys in the fruit and veggie category today. And again, some of what we consider annuals here in my zone, like tomatoes and peppers, can actually be perennials in much warmer climates. So this is just kind of a generalization for most zones. So... What are the benefits of perennial fruits and vegetables? I mean, obviously, the biggest benefit is that you plant it once and you get to harvest it every season, right? But another benefit is that you're not disturbing the soil every season to replant something. Unless you're a no dig gardener, you're likely turning that soil over every year to get your annual garden going. At the very least, We're loosening that topsoil and digging around in there to plant those annual plants. And then we're digging around in there at the end of the season to pull the spent plants and to clean up the garden. And, you know, that doesn't even count for pulling weeds and everything else. No matter how you do this, the topsoil is going to be disturbed. The soil life is being disturbed. And that's not always necessarily a good thing. With most perennials, you're not doing nearly as much of that. You're generally adding some nutrients and adding some mulch, maybe pulling some breakthrough weeds here and there, and that's it. There are, of course, some management things to consider with perennials. Number one, they're in a permanent space. So you really need to pay attention to the sun positioning, the surrounding vegetation, and the spot in the garden where you intend to put your plants. Once they get established, most perennials are not very easy to just up and move. And some of them can get a little crazy and want to spread out, so you'll need to consider that as well. Designated beds for things that like to creep, you know, like horseradish or strawberries or blackberries. That may be the way to go just to keep them from taking over an area. And then second, perennials often come with their own unique set of requirements. Asparagus, for example, can only be harvested after a certain amount of time and then only for a set number of weeks so as to allow the plants to put enough energy back into their root system to come back up again the next season. It also has more specific pH requirements than other plants. Strawberry beds, another example, they need to be renovated about every three years once those mother plants stop producing and then they should be mulched to be protected in severe weather locations. Fruit trees need to be pruned Caneberries need to be trellised. Mulch needs to be added. It's not that perennials don't require some work to get a good harvest. They do. But once they're established, you've removed at least one step from the equation, and that's the planting and the babying of the tender young plants to get them to maturity. And in many cases, there really is simply no other way to get that delicious fruit or vegetable other than to tend to a plant for a couple of years to get it to produce. And there is one last consideration Um, and that's when to plant your perennials. Some of them, like asparagus, should be planted in the spring, which means you should be prepping the beds now and throughout the fall to get those beds ready. Other things, like blueberries, do better when planted in the fall in most areas. It's not that you can't plant in the spring, but at that point they tend to focus on top growth instead of setting in their root systems if they're planted that early. So fall is a good way to ensure that they come back the next season. I have two blueberry bushes in pots in my greenhouse that I'm hoping to plant out this fall that I bought as just little dormant sticks sticking out of the ground in the spring. But if I don't get my act together and get my beds prepped, they'll be wintering over in their pots, and then I'll have to figure out what to do with them next season. Some things like strawberries can be either planted from bare root in the spring or from plugs or plants in the fall, but the management of those plants is a little bit different depending on when you plant. So being prepared for when to plant is a good idea before jumping into perennials. Once you decide what you want to plant, then do a little research into when it's time to plant for the best chance for your perennials. And with each of these lists, the key is to choose varieties that are specifically bred to do well in your zone. So pay attention when researching what you're going to plant. Just because the big box store carries it in their garden center, doesn't mean that it's going to be hardy where you live. Check the tag and be sure that it's intended for your zone. So, let's go through the most common perennial fruits and vegetables that can be planted in your hardiness zone. There may need to be some special considerations for freeze protection for those of you that stay really cold for extended periods of time. So these are just general recommendations. Let's start with zone one. Um, I don't know of any perennial vegetables that will survive that kind of extreme cold, but there are varieties of apples as well as hascap berries and choke cherries that are perennial and will come back after hitting those crazy low temperatures, like negative 60 Fahrenheit. But again, these more than likely are going to need extra protection through the winter. You'll need to check the varieties and their hardiness and go for things that are native to the area that you live in for optimum survivability. Now zone two, with some very heavy extra protection, you might be able to get away with growing asparagus it will need to be really 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 well mulched during your winter time perennial fruits um, you can grow some of these it includes some varieties of apples and plums and the choke cherry as well as honey berries and again look for native plants that provide edible fruits to add to your garden varieties zone three we have lots of gardeners in zone three listening to this podcast here again, you can grow asparagus with a good layer of mulch over the winter time and you should be able to grow rhubarb and sunchokes or Jerusalem artichokes, they're called. Um, ramps and Egyptian walking onions are also more hardy vegetable options for zone three. With the fruits, we start to get into a little bit more variety here. Not only are there varieties of apples and plums that are hardy in zone three, there are also cherries, pears, and apricots. You also have more options for small fruits and berries like goji berry, raspberry, blackberries and blueberries, gooseberries, and now strawberries. Elderberries and currants should also be able to grow and survive in Zone 3 alongside those choke cherries and the honeyberries. Um, Getting into Zone 4, we start to get more options here. Perennial vegetables um, include asparagus, rhubarb, sunchokes, ramps, and the walking onions with the addition of horseradish. Perennial fruits in Zone 4 include those aforementioned fruits from Zone 3, but you'll also have a wider selection of varieties in all of those. Apples and plums and pears all do well in Zone 4. All the caneberries plus the strawberries and elderberries and the currants. And now there are a few varieties of peaches that are bred to do well in Zone 4 climates and some hardier varieties of grapes. Moving into Zone 5, all of those same perennial options from Zone 4 for the veggies and the fruits with the addition of native pawpaw trees. Um, You'll have a few more varieties of peaches, nectarines, and the Chicago hardy fig can also be included to round out your fruit selection zone six all the same perennial vegetable options from zone five with the addition of watercress and then for fruits you just have boatloads more varieties for all the tree fruits and the berries with the addition of persimmons Now, zone six is my zone here and um, I can tell you we actually have native persimmons here and you can also plant some of the the hybridized ones plus we have a ton of different varieties that we can choose from for all of the stone fruits Um, the pears and the plums and the peaches and that sort of thing plus the apples and everything else Um, zone seven Uh, You get to add globe artichokes to the list of perennial vegetables that you can grow and now we're getting into the zone where fruits can get just a little bit more exotic. So all of the same fruits and berries that you can grow in zone 6, you can grow in zone 7 plus there's more types of persimmons. You get the true figs, um, a really wide variety of pawpaw trees and a bunch of other of the tree fruits, all kinds of different varieties of the tree fruits. Now, once we get into Zone 8, we sort of start to go a little bit backwards with some things. You can still grow most of the perennial vegetables from the previous zones, and you can add chayote to that list. But horseradish starts to struggle a little bit in the warmer Zone 8 climate. And we start to see some of the fruit species become less available. For example, blueberries don't do particularly well in Zone 8, But you can grow more exotic fruits like small limes, mandarins, more fig varieties. And you can even push the boundaries a little bit with blue java bananas, those little ice cream bananas, um, with some added protection. Now once we get into zone 9, here's where we really really start to see a change. Instead of worrying about cold hardiness, we're looking at heat tolerance with our perennials in zone 9 and above. Things that need the cooler weather to thrive just don't do well in Zone 9. So your perennial veggies are going to be limited to the ramps and the watercress, walking onions, and globe artichokes. But you get to add perennial kale and tree collards. These will grow all year round in Zone 9 and warmer. The fruits also begin to change dramatically here, too. No more apples and peaches and pears. They've all been replaced by the citrus fruits and avocados, papayas, and plantains. You can still grow honeyberries and service berries, mulberries and grapes, blackberries and raspberries, but strawberries start to really have a hard time in Zone 9. And then moving into Zone 10... The high heat of zone 10 makes it difficult for some things to grow. Many of the things other gardeners are growing as perennial vegetables just won't grow where you are. You will likely have luck with perennial kale and tree collards with the addition of Malabar spinach, which can tough it out through your hottest days. You do have many, many different options for fruits, though. Papaya, guava, many different banana species, jackfruit, all things that really only grow well in zone 10 or warmer. And then into zone 11, extremely warm zone, zero frost days, there's not really anything that we consider a perennial vegetable in zone 11 because there's there's no frost. So if it can tolerate the heat, it can grow year round. The fruit options again here, very exotic with mango and papaya and guava and all the tropicals and the citrus fruits, but nothing really in the way of the most common berries. So native plants are again, are going to be a good option here. And then zone 12 and zone 13, I can't even touch because I'm not very versed um, in those climates. So if you are a listener in zone 12 or in zone 13, um, feel free to reach out to me about what all you can grow perennially there. um, Because I, again, I'm not very well versed in, in those, in those climate zones to be able to speak on it. So, like I said, really just a brief rundown on what's available as a perennial fruit or vegetable in most zones. Some of these things may have surprised you. There are a few lesser known options in each one of those zones, but for most home gardeners, what I covered is going to be the most available and what you'll find plenty of information about. Like I mentioned before, do your research before you buy anything. Figure out the soil needs of what you're going to plant. What nutrients does it need the most? What soil pH does it require? Does it need to be very well draining or does it like very damp conditions? And then research what time of year they should be planted. You don't want to buy a fruit tree on clearance from a garden center only to realize that August is not a good time to be planting it in your area. Prepare yourself and your planting area ahead of time to be most successful with your perennial planting. If you enjoyed this episode and got some value out of it, won't you share it with a friend or a family member? I sure appreciate those of you who have been sharing, and I'm so happy to welcome new listeners into the Just Grow Something family. And remember, this podcast is a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network, so check out the other great podcasts that are in that network with me at the link to the Spotify playlist that will be in the show notes. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that perennial dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com/justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.